Uh, we're continuing our series in the five solas of the Protestant Reformation uh, this morning. Uh, these uh, foundational truths that lie at the heart of, of the gospel. And uh, so far we've seen uh, grace alone, uh, that salvation is God's work, not ours. Last week we saw uh, faith alone, we're saved by trusting uh, Jesus and not our own good works. And today we consider Christ alone. Uh, there's an outline as usual in your, in your outlines, so uh, follow along and uh, let's pray. Our gracious Father, as we come now once again to your precious word, may you show us how supreme and how sufficient your Son is, that we might trust in him and him alone for our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the question that lies at the heart of this third solar, Christ alone, is this. Is Jesus enough? Uh, is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross sufficient uh, to bring us salvation, or, or do we need more? Do we need Christ and... Uh, I remember some years ago, I went on a, on a holiday to Taiwan uh, so I could re renew my visa. It was a visa run uh, from here. And I stayed with a friend of mine who owned a, a, a lovely bed and breakfast place uh, in the country. My friend was a Christian. But the interesting thing was the mother. Uh, in her house, she had uh, pictures on the wall of Jesus. Uh, she had a Bible, of course, as well. But she also had an altar uh, for worshipping her ancestors. Uh, she had a statue of Buddha there as well, and, and even some pictures of the Hindu gods as well. Her, her thinking was obvious. Uh, if she tried to please all the gods, uh, then uh, maybe one of them would be able to secure her afterlife. Uh, Christ was not enough. She needed Christ and the other gods as well. Well, that just doesn't, doesn't only happen out there in the world, does it? It, it can happen here uh, in the church. And uh, perhaps on some occasions we, we too doubt the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, maybe we think to ourselves, we need Christ and the church, or, 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 or Christ and baptism, Christ and communion, uh, uh, Christ and a priest to represent me, or, or Christ and, and some spiritual experience, uh, Christ and, and Mary, Christ and my good works, uh, Christ and anything to make sure that I receive salvation. Is Christ enough or do I need more? Well, the Christians at uh, Colossae were being tempted by some false teachers to think exactly like this, uh, that they needed something more spiritual like uh, like revelations from angels or, or visions or, or perhaps something more religious like some rules and regulations. Uh, they were being tempted to look for more than simply Christ, for Christ and. And the glorious message of this passage uh, Paul wants to show them and to show us is that Jesus is everything. Uh, the word all appears no less than nine times in this passage, Paul's point is that Christ is everything. And so if we have Christ, we have all that we need. Well, point one on our outline this morning, Christ alone is the supreme Lord of creation. 
Uh, Will you read with me from verse 15? He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, It's a staggering description of Christ to begin with. Uh, Of course, we we cannot see God, can we? He He is invisible. But we're told here that Christ is like an image of God. If we look at Jesus, it's as if we can see God. Uh, John uh, puts it this way in his gospel, uh, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Uh, Jesus is described here as the perfect revelation of God, God in the flesh. But there's more. Uh, Of course, we remember back uh, in the book of Genesis that that humanity was created in the image of God. Our our, our role was to to rule the creation under God's loving care. Uh, But humanity's sad story has been one of continual failure. And so here we see Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the, the perfect man who rules this universe completely. Jesus, fully God, fully man, God in the flesh. Well, as we move on, we see the next description. He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, uh, uh, that doesn't mean that uh, Christ is a, is a created being, as if God created uh, Jesus first, and then uh, Jesus went on to create all the other, uh, uh, the rest of the creation. Uh, that was the heresy of, of Arius in the fourth century, which uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses still believe today. No, Jesus is fully divine. Uh, Just a few verses later in verse 19, we read that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Uh, There's no doubt Jesus is divine. Uh, But to be the firstborn here means that you are the heir. The the heir is the one that receives the inheritance. And if if Jesus is the the firstborn of, of all creation, then What is being said here is that he will inherit everything. All things will belong to him. He will rule it forever. And verse 16 tells us why this is the case. He is the the creator and purpose of all things. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, things in, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Uh, Back in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke and the creation came into being. Uh, John tells us in his gospel that this, this word that became flesh was no less than Jesus himself. See, Jesus is the agent of creation. He made everything. And so it all belongs to him. Uh, He created all things in in heaven, the the stars and the galaxies, the the sun and the moon, the universe in all of its entirety. He created the things on on earth, the the white sands of Langkawi, the jungles of of Sarawak, the the animals, the birds, the rivers, the trees, from from the smallest atom to the most complex creature. He made it all. He created the the visible things, the the created world that we see around us. He created invisible things, whether angels or demons or or rulers uh, or authorities. He created every power, every authority, whatever dominion 
He made it all. And so how foolish to, to worship angels or to follow star signs and astrology or, or, or worship Mother Nature or, or any human being with their philosophy. Jesus is, is greater. He created them all. Well, not only is he the, the, the creator of all things, he is the goal of all things too. At the end of verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. Uh, sometimes people ask the question, why are we here? What is the meaning of life? Uh, and we're usually taught that the, the purpose of life is to, to maximize my happiness, to fulfill my potential, to fill up my bank account, to, to do what I want to do. But here we're told what the real purpose of life is. We were created by Jesus and for Jesus. We were all made to, to live under his rule, to, to give Jesus the, the praise that is his due as our creator and our king. Well, not only that, Christ is not just the creator, not just the goal. He is the origin and the sustainer of all things. Verse 17, we read there, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Uh, in other words, uh, Jesus stands behind everything that happens. There's nothing that happens outside of his control. Uh, the reason the earth spins another day, the reason we take our next breath, the reason the, the laws of gravity are still in effect is because Christ is there, sustaining all things. Christ alone is the supreme Lord of all of creation. He's not just another moral teacher, is he? He's not just another religious leader. He is God himself, the creator, sustainer, and ruler of the universe. Now, why would we ever doubt his power to save us? Why would we think he wouldn't answer our prayers? Why would we ever give his glory to another? Christ alone is the supreme Lord of creation. But as glorious as that is, Paul reserves an even greater title for Jesus in verses 18 to 22. We're at point two. Christ alone is the divine agent of reconciliation. Christ alone is the divine agent of reconciliation. Uh, you see, not only is Christ the, the ruler of this created world, but we're told he's the saviour and the Lord of the world to come as well. Uh, have a look at verse 18. Uh, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, we might ask you, well, what is so special about being head of the church? I mean, creator of the universe, I can understand uh, the purpose of all things, that's pretty spectacular. Head of the church, we're a pretty unspectacular bunch most of the time, aren't we? But whereas this created world will one day pass away, God's people, the church, will have eternal life in, in a whole new creation that will, will never pass away. 
And in that new creation, Jesus will still be Lord because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Uh, his, his resurrection is the beginning of that new creation and it, and it marks him out as, as the King of kings, the rule and the Lord of lords who will rule forever over that new creation. He is the, the head of the church. He will be Lord not only now, but forever. In everything, he will be preeminent. Now in verses 19 and 20, Paul tells us why he is supreme as Lord of this new creation as well. And the reason he gives is that he is the reconciler of all things. Verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, once again, we're told Jesus is the divine Son of God. Uh, everything that can be said about God can be said about Jesus. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the Lord. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. But Paul's uh, point here is that, that Jesus' divinity uniquely qualifies him to reconcile all things to himself. Uh, to reconcile means to to put things back into right relationship again. Uh, if Christ is the supreme Lord, then that means putting everything back under his rightful rule. Now, our world desperately needs reconciliation, doesn't it? You don't have to turn on the news uh, for very long to, to see the, the divisions and the wars and the conflicts that rage continually. Uh, humanity has rebelled against God, turned its back on Him, and we live in a world that languishes under God's curse. Uh, we try as we may to fix it with our, with our education systems, with our, with our, with our uh, United Nations peacekeeping forces and all the rest, but it doesn't work really, does it? Uh, Christ is the only one sufficiently qualified to fix up the mess of this world and reconcile it to God. And he does it in the most unexpected of ways. Did you see that? He reckons all, reconciles all things, whether in heaven and on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, can you imagine that? The, the supreme Lord of the universe condemned crucified, killed. Now, we'll see in a moment that it's, it's through the cross that, that God reconciles sinners like you and me to himself. But as important as that is, uh, Paul wants us to see even more because uh, we're told here that Christ will reconcile all things to himself, uh, including the invisible things like those spiritual rulers and authorities of evil. Now, how will he do that? Uh, just have a look over the page to chapter 2 and verse 15. We're told there he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over, over them in him, in the cross. See, it's at the cross that Christ defeats the spiritual uh, powers of, of evil. They're, they're only weapon against us is our sin. Uh, but as Jesus dies on the cross and our, and our sins are, are forgiven, 
these rulers and authorities, these demonic forces, they stand defeated. They're reconciled to Christ in a sense. They're brought under his rightful rule. Not saved, of course, but shamed, defeated, disarmed, and judged. See, Christ is victorious at the cross. And we learn here that, that all things will be reconciled to him, either willingly and peacefully, as we submit to Jesus as our Lord. Or one day we will be forced to confess his lordship as we bow before his judgment throne. All things will be reconciled to Christ one way or another. But in verses uh, 21 and 22, he focuses in on how Christ has reconciled Christians. Uh, Notice firstly the human condition there, verse 21. And you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. There is our nature. We are God's enemies. We are are hostile to him. In In our minds, we do not want him to be in charge. And this expresses itself in in all kinds of evil behavior. And yet look at the power of the cross. We, his enemies, verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I wonder if you've ever experienced... uh, the joy of being forgiven. Uh, you've, you've hurt a friend or, or a spouse, that the relationship is, is fractured. But then they say to you those, those marvelous words, I forgive you. And, and the relationship is restored, sweeter than ever before. Well, we're told here on the cross, Jesus offers that the one perfect sacrifice for sins. He he takes on himself, in his own body, the punishment that we deserve. He he dies in our place so that we're no longer his enemies that are headed for judgment, but we can be his people, reconciled to him. We can hear the words from God's mouth, I forgive you. Peter puts it this way, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Christ's sacrifice was was not like the Old Testament sacrifices that that had to be repeated over and over again. Christ's sacrifice, Peter tells us, was was once for all. As he died there on the cross, he, he dealt with all of our sins fully and completely, past, present, and future. He took it all. His death was perfect and sufficient. And his death means that in the future, verse 18, we can be holy, blameless, above reproach before him. It's as if Jesus' death swings open the gates of heaven so that sinners like us who who used to be his enemies can be now clothed in pure robes, declared before him, blameless and holy. I wonder if you know the the joy of being reconciled to God. 
If you haven't yet turned to Jesus as your, as your Lord and Savior, if you have not yet come to put your trust in that cross where he bore all of your sins, then can I, can I encourage you with the promise of God, if you will turn to him, you will be reconciled to God. You will surely stand before him on that judgment day, blameless, pure, righteous. Will you turn to him? Well, friends, do you see the sufficiency of Christ? Christ, the, the supreme Lord of creation. Christ alone, the divine agent of reconciliation. His rule is absolute. His divinity is unqualified. His reconciliation is complete. His sacrifice was perfect. Christ stands alone, incomparable, irreplaceable, entirely sufficient. Well, let us consider for a few moments the enormous implications of those truths. I think there's five of them on your, on your outline before you. The first one is there. No other religions can bring us to God. Uh, sometimes you hear people say, isn't it, there's, there's many paths to God. And so if God was living on the top of the mountain, then there's many paths that you can, you can take to, to trek up to the top. But it's a bit like my uh, Taiwanese friend's mum, isn't it? Uh, Worshipping every God, just in case. But we've seen in our passage this morning that Jesus is not simply one of, of many equally valid options for us to choose from. Jesus alone reveals the Father because he alone is, is God himself in the flesh. Jesus alone can, can, can reconcile us to God because he alone has offered that one true perfect sacrifice for sin. Jesus alone claims our worship because he alone has been resurrected as, as the Lord of the new creation. Uh, Buddha was not divine. Muhammad was not sacrificed for our sins. Krishna did not rise from the dead. Only Jesus is the divine son who offered that perfect sacrifice at the cross and rose again in glory. It was Jesus himself who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No other religions. Secondly, no other mediators but Christ alone. A, a mediator is a, is a, is a go-between, isn't it? And uh, they're usually there when the, the other party, when the two parties are not getting along. But we've seen today that, that Christ alone is, is uniquely, uniquely qualified to be our mediator. Uh, for one, he is, he is fully God and, and fully man. He's the only one who can, who can really represent both parties. But more than that, he's the only one who's offered that perfect sacrifice as he, as he died on the cross. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 puts it this way. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There's one God, there's one mediator, Jesus. And that implies, doesn't it, there are no other mediators but him. Uh, there's no other mediators in heaven 
So we must not pray to, to Mary or, or some special Christian we, we call a saint or, or to, to angels, thinking they're going to help us get salvation. There's, there's no other mediators on earth either. We, we do not need popes or, or priests or, or pastors to, to somehow mediate God's salvation to us. Uh, that is the, one of the problems that you will find with Roman Catholicism. For it, it teaches that the way to heaven is, is not through Christ alone, but, but Christ as He is mediated to us through the church. Uh, and so the teaching is that, that Christ's grace only comes to us as, as we come to that human priest and, and receive the sacraments that He offers. But surely such a, a teaching implies that, that, that Jesus' mediation is, is somehow deficient. That, that Jesus needed to do more, that his death was not enough to reconcile us to God. Now, the, the minister is, is not a priest. Uh, true enough, we, uh, we, do, uh, we do call ourselves uh, priests in the Anglican system, but not in the same sense as, as the Old, Old Testament, even though we might wear some uh, dif- different clothes uh, and so on. The job of, 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 of the priest, if you like, the minister... <laughs> the pastor, the teacher, is, is not to somehow stand between the people and God. No. The job of the minister is, is simply to point people to Jesus so that they can go directly to God through Him. No other religions, no other mediators. Thirdly, no other sacrifices for sin. Uh, again, uh, Roman Catholicism teaches us that, that during the Mass, uh, the bread and the wine is transubstantiated. That means that it turns into the literal body and blood of Jesus. And they believe that it's, it's then sacrificed on the altar by the priest in order to somehow secure God's, God's favour. But again, by saying that, that Jesus' death needs to be repeated over and over again. His sacrifice needs to be done again and again and again. Surely does that, does, does that not imply that his death is somehow not sufficient, not able to reconcile us to God? Now, Jesus' sacrifice was, as, as, our, as our service will put it later on, the one true, perfect and sufficient Sacrifice for sins. It never needs to be repeated. Never needs to be added to. The writer to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. At at the end of this sermon, I'm going to sit down. It means, isn't it, that the sermon's finally over. (laughs) And it's like that with Christ's finished work. He, as, as he offers this one perfect sacrifice, he goes to heaven, he sits down because the job is done. His one single sacrifice is sufficient for all time. It never needs to be repeated again. And so we can have absolute confidence that as we trust in Jesus and his death for us, It is all that we need to be reconciled to God. 
no other sacrifices. Fourthly, no other works. Uh, uh, the Colossians were being tempted to, to move on to a religion of performance. So uh, we, can, we can work out from chapter 2, they were being told by the false teachers, look, believe in Jesus, yes. But if you want to be a, a truly spiritual and mature person, then you must make sure that you avoid these foods and, and keep these various rules. Uh, perhaps uh, someone might come up to us today and say, look, uh, make sure you tithe and you, you have a quiet time and you go to church and have a Sabbath, and then you'll be really sure that you have salvation. And it sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? But it's a denial of Christ alone, because Jesus' death alone is sufficient to get me to heaven. I do not need to add any works to it. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 2 and verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Uh, uh, Paul, is, Paul is saying here, uh, human religion looks so spiritual, isn't it, with, with all of its rules and its regulations, but, but in the end, it's, it's just a creation of man, which, which undermines the sufficiency of Jesus' death. I mean, it'd be very easy, isn't it, in the middle of Lent to be thinking to myself, look, if I, if I give up this thing and this thing and this thing, then maybe that will get me some extra brownie points to get me to heaven. And once again, it sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? And yet it's a denial of Christ alone. We need not add any works. Christ's death alone is sufficient for salvation. No other works, finally, no other spiritual experiences. Have a look at what Paul writes in chapter 2 and verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensual mind, and not holding fast to the head. See, we might uh, wrongly think, isn't it, that, that someone who, who goes on about, about visions and, and, and angels is, is a very spiritual person. <clears throat> Once again, Paul says, says, no, Jesus is enough. Uh, Christ is the one who made the angels. Christ is the one who, who rules the angels. Uh, and so if, if someone says, look, you must have this, this special spiritual experience uh, in order to be really a Christian, then don't be led astray. It, it sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? But once again, it's a denial. Christ alone, his death on the cross, is sufficient to get me to heaven. Well, that is the main point this morning. Christ's death alone is all that we need for salvation. Well, in conclusion, let's, uh, uh, Paul calls us to hold fast to Christ 
alone. And notice how he finishes the passage in verse, chapter 1, verse 23. He says, you'll be holy, blameless before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul wants us to be stable in our faith, steadfast, not shifting even an inch from this gospel of Christ alone. Uh, you see, if, it, if our view of Jesus is not big enough, if, if we do not grasp enough of his, his glory and majesty and supremacy, if, if we do not grasp his, his sufficiency in redemption, then we will be tempted to add to his work, isn't it? But Paul reminds us there is only one gospel. It is the gospel that was proclaimed in, in all the world. If, if you move from this gospel, there is no other. The gospel says Christ alone is sufficient. He is all that we need. He made us and saved us for his glory. He's worthy of all honor and praise. He offered that perfect sacrifice to cleanse us of all our sins. Let us not move even an inch from Christ and Christ alone. His death on the cross is all that we need to get us to heaven. Now let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you indeed that your Son is utterly supreme in all things and, utter, and his death is utterly sufficient to save sinners like us. Father, we thank you that we do not need to add to his work in any way whether by our works or experiences or, or other sacrifices or mediators, we thank you that his, his work is complete and perfect. Help us, we pray, Father, not to shift from this gospel, but to continue to trust in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.